COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com slash money for college. You know I'm right. Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, today we got the Cuban hammer on with us. And when I would say to you, you know, bend it like, you know, what do you think about? I don't think about David Beckham at all. I don't think about David Beckham at all. Uh, if there's a that I think about, it's probably uh, somebody by the name of Max Bredo. So uh, he's the current play-by-play lead for uh, you know, Los Angeles FC, uh, done so former soccer walker and, and Fox. We're really, really happy to have him on. Welcome to the show, Max. What's up? Nick, Joe, great to be here. And uh, yeah, that was my my attempts at, at ESPN when I was able to put Bendit Bredos on SportsCenter. It was one of my proudest moments. And the proudest moment was we did a SportsCenter after uh, the NFL show with Chris Berman. He goes, he, he, he name-checked me. He goes, who wants some bandit like Bredos? And I, I fell out <laughs> of my chair. Unfortunately, we short-lived it last two, two years, but uh, I'll, I'll always have that. Yeah, it was, it was a great segment. And, you know, the World Cup leaves ESPN, and so do you. And there goes, there goes, there goes soccer. Oh, we're, we're, we're two ships in the night with soccer. I go this – I went – went, I left Fox, which eventually had the World Cup, and it went the other way. I was like, that's, my, that's the power I have. <laughs> no doubt about it. So let, let's start here with your, your childhood growing up in Florida. Uh, were you playing soccer? Were you playing any other sports? And, you know, when did you decide, hey, maybe I could pursue a career here in, in broadcasting? I never played soccer. I was really terrible at soccer. So I think that's the way I appreciate. I, I play I'm always very fit. So when I play games, people put me in because I'll, I'll run. And I'll run. But I, I can't trap all. Uh, I hit a ball really cataclysmically bad. So I think that's part of the reason I, I love it so much. Uh, when, uh, when I was five years old, I was in Ohio, um, going to Oberlin College, and then my dad got a, a couple job offers, one in Iowa, one in uh, Australia, and he took the Australian job. We moved there until I was 12 years old. So uh, growing up, we played all the continental sports. So I played rugby, some cricket, and uh, I, rugby, I played till I was, I don't want to tell you how old I am now, but 35, 36, but now a while ago. But uh, that was a wonderful sport. I was pretty, I was pretty handy. I played for the Santa Monica Rugby Club and played some, uh, played basketball, but rugby was the most organized sport that I played. But soccer, I leave that to the, I leave that to the professionals. And that's why I, I think uh, it was such a good uh, profession because I honestly, when I watch, I'm always blown away with what those guys can do and girls can do. I got about it. So in college, you, you end up eventually at Florida State University. Is it that time where you said, hey, maybe I can pursue a career here working in sports? Or when did you figure out, oh, maybe this is a career for me? It was a little bit after that. I knew I wanted to do that and I didn't study uh, communications or broadcasting, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, um, I just was in the headspace in college. I don't know. It was, I, 
I, I thought I had all the time to determine it. And then it hit me like a fist that I got to do this. Uh, and I have to thank my mom. I was in my, I was in, my mom's here. I'm in her house. I have to, I had to uh, make a decision. And uh, back in Miami, I'd go to the beach, do, do anything. And I finished college. because you've been out of college three months. You got to do something. And she set up a couple uh meetings in LA uh, with a friend of hers who worked at a production company. And I went out there, I drove from Miami. Uh, I did like the little road trip across country and I worked there and I started learning the TV business. And then uh, the, the job I had, she goes, we have to make some layoffs, but I want to point you in the right direction. This lady was named Nelly Galan. And she goes, what do you want to do? And I go, I want to do sports. And I remember that conversation. And uh, she pointed me to prime sports, which had an opening to answer some phone calls. And I said soccer too. I go soccer because I, uh, this was uh, 1996. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and um, there was no soccer on TV. And I remember I'd watch, it was Monday. They had a Premier League game on ESPN. And then I'd watch Mexican games on Univision with Andres Cantor. It was Derek Gray and Tommy Smith on Monday. And they do with, with one Champions League game. And that was pretty much it. And then I wanted, I heard this, it was in Spanish. I was on the uh, scheduling side where we scheduled games. They had all these uh, European leagues. And I was like, I was in on it. And I was learning the, uh, the, the industry and the leagues. And lo and behold, um, a couple of years later, they started an English channel. And I was able to work for them, Fox Sports World, kind of a sight unseen, just learning on the ropes. That was my schooling. And obviously, you couldn't get more fortunate to have a uh, position where you learn actual games on the air and you would do five, six games a weekend, if not four. Uh, and that was it. It was, I think anyone could have that kind of opportunity, so to speak, where you just, uh, it was like going to school and I wasn't getting paid. Actually, the first year I got paid nothing. That's how I got the, got, that's how I got the gig. I'll do some games for free. And eventually they gave me a little money and then I kind of took over the role, but it's, it was obviously a, a, a uncommon way to kind of, learn the ropes and one way that uh i'm very i'm very appreciative of because i know some people who want to get in the industry won't wouldn't have that that outlet now and then now because soccer is no longer a secret so i want to first shout out your mother because your mother sounds like a wonderful human being and the fact that you're there visiting her now she must be really really enjoying you um, um you hear that <laughs> they're saying you're a wonderful human being you want to say hello? Which is a podcast. So your voice. Hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> My claim to fame is that I'm his mother. Yes. Thank you. His I'm claim to fame is that he's your daughter. He's your, <laughs> he's your son. <laughs> Joe, Joe, when you said that, I had to bring her on. So there you go. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I don't hear that very often. <laughs> now I can't get rid of her. Thanks a lot. <laughs> we met him about 15 minutes ago. And so far, he's been very, very great to us, and we're fortunate. So hopefully, uh, we'll continue having fun. Thank you. Uh, that was really great. Nice. He's very happy with that. Yeah. Um, so uh, seemed like she had a a really uh, influence here on on what happened here. Uh, but I want to take you back to FSU for a second because uh, you were there during the '90s, and during the '90s, that was the place to be, or one of the, the places to be. Uh, do you have any great memories? being there uh did you go to any of the big florida state football games maybe any of the games against uh the u in miami I went, I went to the game in uh, 90 
four against the U, where uh, they 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 blew them out. And obviously, they had issues with Miami. It was the national championship year in '84, and I want to say Warwick Dunn, where he does this juke move, and then he just takes off, and he's like cruising. And the defensive backs of Miami, including a uh, Rohan Marley, Bob Marley's son, was they were was it Rohan Marley? Yes. They were chasing him. They couldn't catch him. So it was a, a remarkable time to be there. And the one thing me and my friends appreciated was, and, and we don't take for granted, obviously, was back then they would play Wake Forest or Maryland and the game would be over at halftime. So we could leave and start drinking and we'd be at someone's fraternity house or at a party and watch the second half uh, getting our beer on. Uh, every game, it was like 35-3 at the half. And that never happens anymore. Obviously, the, our, our program has changed quite some time. And I feel for those students there because I think a lot of guys uh, go to the school to, uh, for the football program. But uh, it was back then, it was something else. And the, just the athletes, I mean, 94 was Charlie Ward, Warwick Dunn, Derek Brooks, the best team we ever had. And we went to the Miami game that year. I remember that was also the year we lost to Notre Dame. Maybe it was 93 going into 94, I should say. And just watching that game at our, our dorms, hoping we would win and then getting that chance. Uh, we also had a, a basketball team that got to the Elite Eight that had Charlie Ward, uh, Bob Sura, Sam Cassell, Doug Edwards, who was the highest draft pick of the bunch, but had a very short NBA career. Uh, Doug was um, his brother, him, him and Alan were like legendary Miami basketball uh, pro, uh, products. So it was good to see it. I, I would go to the cafeteria at Florida State. I would see I wouldn't see anything except Sam Cassell. The guy was always eating. So I'd always see him. I'd say hi to him a bit. But uh, you didn't get the big man on campus thing because everyone was so geared to football. But lo and behold, under the surface, they had the basketball program. But that was a memory. The football team was something else. And I mean, there was, you know, 15 pros in 90. I went from 92, 93, 94. So it was like 15 pros one year, 20 pros the next, and then team the following. It was, uh, it was pretty amazing to, to be there. Again, we be at games. You <laughs> need to be. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned football. You mentioned you know, these Heisman Trophy winners. You mentioned the cafeteria. So I got to ask you, how were the crowd bugs in the cafeteria at Florida State University? No, no comment. <laughs> And quite frankly, we didn't have crab legs. It was more, it was more of a, a humble fare, like beans and chicken breasts overcooked. Uh, those kind of things. Typical, but, you know, typical get, food. Again, listen, it was like we were eating a steak at Master's and you have like $4 in your pocket. Then you get that, the big plate. There's no complaints. But uh, right. you know, we were there a fair bit, as much as we could. Yeah. So let's fast forward nine years here. You, you end up with Sky Sports, Great Britain. How did the opportunity come about for you? And were you doing that? Would you move over to the United Kingdom or are you staying here in the United States to do that? I was working at, at Fox and a couple of partnerships with uh, uh, Nike. And I, it was, it was, I got to travel a lot. There was moments where we would travel. They, they'd say, hey, you just got to go to an interview. And I would fly to... Barcelona or Berlin and do an interview and I was come back naturally I would stay a couple extra days and explore the city and I look back at that I go I'll never have it that good they put me in a business class I felt like you know I felt like a real rock and roller I was like yeah and then my the producer would go and come back he would he would go to he'd go to Berlin and he goes I'm heading back why don't you stick around 
One day we went to uh, Sicily because the United States was playing the Italian team in Catania and I followed them around and I thought, I'm in Sicily. I never thought I would have that opportunity. Really expensive cab fare in, in Sicily back then. Uh, from the airport for a while, it was like $50. Uh, and then you didn't complain because all I could think was the Godfather. So I was like, <laughs> perception. Anyway, just that was going to my, but um, one of the things we did when I was at Fox, we were partnered with Sky Sports and they had a show called the Soccer AM All Sports, which still exists. It's different now, but it was back then. It was hosted by Helen Chamberlain and Andy Goldstein. And I was like their American soccer correspondent. So they would bring me on for three minutes and I'd talk about the NBA, whatever happened that week. Via, via satellite. And they said, why don't you do the show here? And then I went there and then word got out that it, from the guy who does the NFL, it was the time of the Super Bowl. And I covered two Super Bowls there. It was the, uh, it was the first New England Philadelphia Super Bowl that obviously the Patriots won. And then there was a, was it a Seattle Super Bowl? But I was, they brought me to be like the NFL correspondent was an ex- and I wonder if the people in Britain thought that. Obviously, one look at me, they could, that probably wasn't the case. But uh, it was just that partnership with Fox. So I, would, I went over a couple times, and it was a, uh, it was it was wonderful. It was it was, uh, it was very cool to see it from that perspective. Obviously, where the NFL is not king, but you're on a channel trying to uh, to create uh, to create some interest. And it was Cecil Martin played for the Eagles, and Kevin Cadel, who was. Uh, um, shoot, I think I think we lost Kev recently, but he was like the American correspondent for sports there. So uh, it was uh, it was very cool to to be part of. It. But that wasn't anything permanent. I'd go over and come back if I could do that in twenty twenty one. I still would. It'd be fantastic. Right. Yes, yeah, so yes, they're simultaneously doing that while you're with Fox Sports International. So right. you know that that that's good to hear because you know a lot of people do that now. They're able to juggle a lot of jobs, and I guess it all depends on you know, how the program directors or whatever feel. So it was good that that worked, that worked out for you there. I would say Kermit McQuarrie, who was our Scottish uh, uh, lead for Fox, was uh, as big a uh, believer of me than anyone I've had in my entire career. I talk to him still. He's retired. And he always has my best interest. And he's the one that threw my name out there. So it's just kind of, and someone believes in you, so many doors get opened. And Dermot, was number one my my career to be able to do that to throw these opportunities away right now when we were doing our research on you we were oh stunned stunned to find <laughs> out that you worked for world wrestling entertainment wwe because from what i've heard you don't like wrestling you were not a fan uh but what was what was the the process like for you then to to get that role was there an audition process and did they change your name and what was your name in, res- in wrestling? You have all questions figured out. That's really, except for one thing. I was a huge wrestler as a kid. Uh, in Miami, uh, in uh, Miami, I watched, I wasn't a WWE fan. We watched wrestling. So at 8 a.m., you would tune into Florida Championship Wrestling with Gordon Soley. It was 8 a.m. on a Saturday, which is a crazy time to watch wrestling. But uh, it had the main, the main, Guys there were the Kendall Windham, Barry Windham, Dusty Rhodes would be there a fair bit. Ric Flair would appear. It was part of the NWA circuit, so they had different regional promotions, as you would probably know if you're a wrestling <laughs> fan. Uh, we had Mike Graham. We'd have, they'd have wrestlers come in, and I was just mesmerized. I watched it all the time. And I'd watch some of the regional wrestlings. I'd watch, I was, you know, back then you were, 
either uh, NWA, soon to be WCW guy or WWE. And, and when I was in college in Tallahassee, WCW went to tour there and go see them live. So really, I really enjoyed it. And there was Kevin Dunn was the lead producer there. And he reached out and he goes, we liked your style. We'd like to come in. And I went to Dermot. I can get this. And back was, it's much more normal now. But back then it was, you know, you can't work for WWE. You, you'll undermine your sports career. I was like, I want to give it a shot. Uh, and I did, and I, I, it just, it just wasn't, I just wasn't prepared for it, what I was about to get into. You really, the people who work there, you've got to be tough and a bull. And I kind of sat there like in headlights when you go the, to this, uh, when you go to WWE, you go up to the shows, they take over to arena and, you know, I've never been more intimidated to meet someone than Vince McMahon. Guy is just bigger than life. I mean, you can hear <laughs> a genetic jackhammer. Genetic jackhammer. But he's like, you go, hey, hey, welcome, hey. welcome to the team, Max. I'm like, hello, Vince. And you're, he's everywhere. Every, everywhere you talk, you hear him. He wouldn't miss a show. And because sometimes you wish he missed the show. He was so demanding on everyone. And he is meticulous on every detail of the show. So he had everything. Um, that you would go, they had everything in place, and I didn't know what, what I was supposed to do. I wasn't given a, a job description, so I was I was hovering around a bad a bad smell. I'll give you an interesting story. So this is 2007. Tommy Dreamer was a wrestler. He uh, I'm and this was a lesson that I I've instilled in everything I've done since. So I'm walking around backstage, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not calling i would do some backstage interviews i would go and hype up the crowd but it was it was very light lifting for the most part uh when you for for traveling sometimes across the country or to canada to do this. tommy dreamer sees me and he goes hey i go oh it's going to be my name is tommy what's your name uh, my name is max I go why don't you say that you're walking around back here no one knows who the hell you are we think you're like some undercover cop and we're afraid to, to to do anything around you i go oh i'm sorry i'm new and it goes you're supposed to say that. And this was him giving me this advice, which is honestly some of the best advice. He goes, don't walk around here. Introduce yourself to everyone. So we know, okay, you're right. So I started to do that. In interestingly enough, again, 2007, I started to introduce myself to wrestlers, to everyone, and they're wonderful people. Uh, I introduced myself to Chris Benoit, uh, who was there. And sure. This was, you know, that year I go, Chris, I go, I'm a big fan of yours. He was a WCW guy and I love Japanese wrestling too. And he was a part of that. A few weeks later, we get this news that he, his wife and his son are dead. And everyone is, we're in the backstage going, you know, and obviously it's, it rocks you. And then the news came out that it was a double murder homicide. And I was like, I thought of Tommy Dreamer, but it was still the, the advice to go there. But I go, I introduced myself and then I introduced himself two weeks ago. And then this happened. And it really hit home, but it was, you know, that was, I've never been quite prepared in a workplace, something like that to happen. And it just, uh, it affected me in, 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 in ways that uh, I, I never really, I, I still, if something like that happened today, I don't know how to act because it was scary meeting the man. And I didn't want to change the tenor of this, this conversation, but it was, it was the one thing that was, that held up and no one knew what happened so they had a, a show for him where they celebrated right. his life. And then next they found out that he was the culprit. Right. Uh, and I, it was, it was pretty, everyone was pretty shook. So 
I, I kind of out at that point. And lo and behold, I think I worked there eight months and I was gone, but I just, it was just one of the things you don't really recover from, but um, it was absolutely awful that sense. But Tommy Dreamer advice, when I went to ESPN, I, when I walk into an empty room and I've told this to people getting in the business, if you're in a room, you don't know who those people are and you don't know who they are, just talk to them and you will find out that um, they are, uh, they like to talk and sometimes they like get a little bit bothered. The master by now a WWE employee of doing that is Adnan Burke, mutual friend. <laughs> right. And he would go in, he would, he was so good at going to some, Hey, I'm Adnan and the guy, Steve, he would find out. So if anyone's learning to get in the business, we'll teach you the Adnan Burke model. He would find out Jets fan. I go, Hey Jets, they, they're going to look good next season. Now four wins. And then all of a sudden the guy would go, yeah, yeah, we're working. I know. Hector, we need an upgrade there and this, that, and the other. And those kind of conversations are gold and kind of propelled into the bloodstream of wherever workplace you are. So you got to do a little homework. And I know this is probably the craziest answer you've had to a question involving uh, workplace etiquette, death, uh, wrestling. <laughs> but uh, I feel like a stream of consciousness to include all of that. But uh, I'm glad I did with WWE, it was a weird time to go, but ever and ever since then, I, I, I'm interested in the wrestling business, but I don't watch it because I think that was uh, such a seismic uh, experience for me and what I wanted to do. Yeah, first things first, we want everybody who's on with us to be totally honest and kind of candid and just kind of go with that flow of consciousness. And to be honest, I mean, you're only, months but you were there at a time period uh at that time period where i think the business really changed and i think you can look back at that time period in 2007 as the definitive moment that the business changed because they took uh head injuries more seriously uh they took the health of their performance seriously obviously wellness pollinus changes came about from that so uh definitely not the best experience for you just because of the the, the quick turn over there but uh thanks for sharing with us and, and, and Joe, I think that's a great follow-up. And I, obviously, you, you know the business, but it was uh, there was moments you'd sit there and you could see and feel the drug use that was pretty prevalent. And I know that WWE didn't want that, but these guys, I guess in, 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 to close it, these guys, the, the job and lifestyle they have is so demanding. They're here, car ride, car ride, car ride, flight, car ride, car ride, wrestle, 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 wrestle. And they needed some help in in what they do. And I hope they, and it certainly appears they got it where everything about the industry is a little more mainstream. They're still independent contractors and they'll, that'll always be part of the business. But you know, you sit there and I, I mean, the, the, the painkillers, I mean, people, I think there was a misconception when there was a flurry of deaths within wrestling, not just WWE, but the wrestling business. And they said, it's probably steroids. It wasn't, it was I, I painkillers, which if you take enough of them will stop your heart. And these guys are in so much pain on a regular basis that they pop a lot of pills. And, and, and I mean, I, I never saw it. Uh, this is just stories hanging out, but it wasn't just a pill here. It's like double digit pills at a time so that they could let the pain go away. And I know they've fixed that. So uh, it was interesting to be part, of, be part of that, but it was pretty, I mean, it was an eye opener. I've nothing, nothing, nothing could prepare you for that. And there was a couple of deaths. I know I, I befriended a wrestler called Lance Cade, who was lovely. And a, a year later after that, he, he passed away. And I was like, 
you can't have this kind of workplace. And I think what you can see about wrestling is you don't have, you don't turn the news and find out someone died or this happened or he's in a car wreck. Uh, because Chris Benoit was right there when the Eddie Guerrero situation. And actually, I called Bloodsport for uh, Josh Barnett is a wrestling kind of hybrid with MMA. And Chavo Guerrero is there, and I've known him for a little bit, and I saw him down there. But just for two years, it it was you know guys, friends, and brothers, and that were going down these dark paths. So that they had to fix that. And I, I, by all accounts, uh, it appears that that's happened. Yes, no, for sure. Uh, and you mentioned Adnan, obviously, with the WWE connection. We're going to get to Adnan in a little bit. Uh, but whenever WWE comes up, Nick and I always kind of pinpoint this. And obviously, we can kind of expand this and, and continue, uh, you know, with the, the soccer topics. But I, I want to ask you about the audition process. Now, you can speak about this if this was the case when you were with WWE for that brief period of time. I, I'm, I know stuff that they do or, or their process is, is very different, uh, but you could even go back to your time at Sky you can go during your time at Fox, uh, ESP. Uh, so what was the audition process like at each individual company that you worked for? Uh, was it the same everywhere? Was there even a, an audition process you know, for each of these places? Uh, so, so walk us through that. Welcome to Parent-Teacher Night. Oh, yes, Miss Garner. If you have one of those airline credit cards, you're probably not earning double miles on every purchase. You're right. My card only gets extra miles on some types of purchases. With the Capital One Venture Card, you earn unlimited double miles everywhere. Wait, but where can we use them? You can use Capital One Venture Miles on any travel purchase. Venture gets an A+. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com. Well, there's different auditions. I think the WWE, Kevin Dunn, I, 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 I feel bad I let him down because I think he put his neck out to bring me to WWE. He, he identified me and said, this is the guy we want. Uh, to use but so I did an audition and it was with Todd Grisham who I is still friends of mine who works there and works he worked at ESPN and now works at DAZN covering boxing he he may be one of the two or three top boxing guys he's a big soccer fan too so he knew I was and I did an audition with him and it was it was pretty brutal I didn't know what I was doing but I think in that case they wanted me to see just to see if it was all right they they were going to hire me and uh, I did it so that was also like everything that the year I spent at WWE, everything I do there, I, I reflect off of uh, as a learning experience, what to do, what not to do in many cases and how to approach that. So, you know, that came in 2007. I went to 2010 at ESPN with the WWE and uh, Jonathan Coachman, I worked with panels at WWE. And I remember I sat with him and I asked, I go, should I come to ESPN? And he goes, I know you don't want to move LA, but you got to come here. You're going to get better. You are going to be in the middle. You're going to do great shows. You're going to work with the best people. He was right about everything. Mm -hmm. And then that audition with them is like they recreate a uh, ESPN set and they throw you some news stories. They throw you some breaking news. Um, being such a massive sport fan and not everyone is, uh, not everyone in sports is just a crazy sport fan like I am. I watch it all the time. I watch everything. That helps you. It's not, it's not essential 
but you have to be adept with those things uh, and know enough. So I think as, as absurd as it may sound, if you want to get into sports, you've got to know sports and you've got to be passionate about it. So that gives me a little bit of uh, uh, wiggle room to uh, adapt whenever something was thrown, but over preparation. So I didn't know what they were going to do it. So I watched the shows kind of recreated, imitated a few things and you over but you don't use all that stuff. You just want that in your pocket. But when you're on process you don't want to be too wordy or just shove too much stuff in there so if they want to do something keep it very simple um you get all the stuff you want to talk about but then you scribble out what you view as not important so you there is a a, a, a need sometimes when you're doing something like that to show people how much you know you don't want to do that, it'll backfire on you. So you just got to know when something happens that you're ready to uh, uh, be prepared for it. You've got to have all that instilled, whether it's wrestling, sports, news, politics. You have to be ready for things to, you know, go off script. So I think that's one of the things I've done. And when things go off script in an audition process, you don't have to. Uh, let's say, uh, okay. Tom Brady retire. You don't have to go. Tom Brady retire. Played fifty. You don't know, those things. You'd be very reflective about it. And uh, when you're in those moments, you've got to be, I think, very personal. So I think you'd say something like, "Oh, I remember Tom Brady. Man, uh, that first Super Bowl. Who would have ever imagined? Uh, he got this opportunity. Who was the Who was the uh, quarter? Drew. Uh, Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe. I'm getting old, my memory. I go, Drew Bledsoe was uh, the guy. So little things like that. Although I would have screwed up this audition, obviously, because I, I, I was going to say Drew Brees. I go, Drew Bledsoe. But uh, those little things that you can kind of put in there, again, but don't overkill it uh, with, with stats and so forth. They want to see they want to see you. Because if, if you're at the point where you're doing an audition process, generally speaking, you are a little further advanced in there. The hard part is to get that opportunity. That's... Uh, that's kind of where I go back to with Adnan, where you talk to everyone, you make them feel comfortable, you become a nuisance, you've got to be a nuisance so that you can get those opportunities. But uh, the, there's little keys to the, to the uh, keys to success for some of those things. And uh, it's just kind of down to being you, being very natural. You want to, I guess this is the best advice with, uh, I should have said in the beginning. Scott Van Pelt, it wasn't Scott Van Pelt, but Ryan Rossillo told me this about Scott Van Pelt. He goes, if you look at Scott, what's the best thing about him is he's exactly the same on air as he is off. And he is same, same, same guy. Like when I get started, you in the business, I would talk like this and I go, Hey, I get on air. Hi, everybody. Welcome. You'd be announcer guy. You don't <laughs> want that. You want to be the same person. Uh, Max, I mean, you are doing a great job with the name dropping almost as good as <laughs> huge Toronto Argonauts season ticket holder, Adnan Verk. Uh, he, he's the master of the name dropping. He told me that you are the master of being modest. So that's a great compliment. Wait, the, the master of what? Of being modest. So, uh, I guess so. I guess so. It's up the name drop. But so, uh, yeah. So he, he obviously he's following in your footsteps. So now he is with WWE. He's the voice of Monday Night Raw. What was your reaction when you when you saw that happen and you know you see him you see him on Raw? I'm sure it's maybe the first time you tuned in in, in quite some time to see Mr. Verk. So it was Monday night 
that he was doing it. And Sunday, Sunday late night, I got a text. We have a thread with some friends that are in the business and they go, look at this. And I go, oh, I was like, and then I wasn't shocked. I know Nick Khan, his agent who believes in Adnan to a level we all, we all wish we had that relationship. It's kind of like Jerry Maguire, that relationship between Cuba Gooding Jr. and Cruz. That's that. It, uh, we all have agents. I, I like, but he, and most people don't have agents that are going to put their client out there for this because he believes in them. So when I saw that, I figured that was the connection. There's, there's reason. Nick, look, it's a big opportunity. I mean, you're giving my, uh, you're bringing someone from the outside wrestling world to do this. You're putting your neck out there if you're Nick. So that you how much they trust and what an incredible talent Adnan is because he, uh, this is, uh, he, he's, this is something he really hasn't done, but you know, he'll be good at it. And I, when I saw it, because um, I looked at watching wrestling, I always said, and all due respect to everyone who works there, I mean, they needed something. They need something different. The wrestling announcer is very different than every other sports announcer. But I think we're at a point where you want the wrestling announcer to sound like Joe Buck or what, to, to be more in the mainstream. So because the certain tenor that wrestling announcers have, you're always thinking this is predetermined, which it is. I always thought, wouldn't it be great for wrestling? You know, back in the 70s and 80s, everyone thought wrestling was real fights and they were shocked and wrestling kept it very quiet, which is looking back is amazing. And then they, they, they let the out of the bag, this is scripted and uh, people accepted it. And everyone knows that the, the audience is smart in anything. They don't care. They want to be entertained. Wrestling has this huge advantage over other combat sports. They can determine the outcomes, which we've been disappointed to watch MMA or boxing, how the outcomes end. But wrestling always, you know, you're going to be entertained in some way. So they have a huge advantage. So why don't you, and I, I before it happened to Adnan a few weeks ago, they should really make it more mainstream. And I think it's because of the arrival of Nick Khan and make it sound like other sports. So when I saw that Adnan got appointed, I thought, that's, he is going to be really good. He's just got to learn uh, the industry and the wrestlers. But once he does that, there's going to be an air. He's such a professional. There's going to be an air of comfort. Um, and he puts analysts over. That's another thing. You've got to put analysts in a great position. And Adnan does as good as anybody. Because really, as play-by-play, play play, again, I talked about the information. The information is, is key. And it's something you want to have. But you don't want to overkill it. You want to put, unless you're doing something by yourself, but you want to put those analysts over the top. And you can almost say, why, why did they do that? And you could be almost a fan as an, you are a connection to the fan. So you can get away from being, having so much expertise because it really is the job of those analysts to call the action and do that. You're kind of the bridge, the storyteller, and it's a big job, but you, you really, uh, you have to excel at every department. Interviews are very difficult. You've got to master that. But I thought when it happened that when I read it, I was shocked for a, a brief second. And then it all made sense. And I said, wow, they have the guy. They have the right guy with Adnan. And people tune in and they go, wow, that's the, the guy who hosted college football on ESPN. That's the guy who works for MLB Network and now is WWE. And I think for long, WWE fans were on the outside and, and spoken down to. Wait, I, MMA is my is my. Second love after soccer 
you know, MMA is looked upon that way. And it's, it's very unfortunate. Soccer was looked that way. And to kind of get on the inside track uh, is, is, is good for the business. And eventually we'll kind of pe- the lines will get blurred. You temporarily mentioned this, Nick and I always like to ask this question, uh, the agent, uh, do you feel like it is necessary? Uh, because I think it does go on an individual case by case basis. Uh, but for you yourself, do you have, uh, do you still have your agent or uh, did you have an agent? Uh, do you know people close to you who have agents? Uh, what would your advice be there? It's good to have an agent. You know, people are always worried about these commissions, but even if they don't get you a lot of work, it's good to have someone who knows the industry, who has the contacts, who, if something happens, can kind of help you um, get well or, or, or learn the right um, uh, learn the right order on how to fix these things. I through the years, I, I'm pretty sure 90% of the jobs I got was people reaching out either to my agent or myself about it. And um, I think early on, you want an agent. I still have an agent. I don't lean into him that much, but he's there. Uh, But I'm at a point where work is something you have to find. And I know uh, at ESPN, people asked me or people talk to me when their agents reach out, they kind of roll their eyes. They want to hear from you. They want to hear you, why you want this job, why you want to be there. Uh, The agent can say so much, but generally you've got to find a way to make the connection. The agent can help you with that. Many times it's, if you contact a phone number or email, you reach out. I, that's all I do now, uh, LAFC, but I'm non-exclusive. So I'm always looking for work and generally I find it. So, uh, I, it's just, it's a lot of grind. It's, it'll, it'll wipe you out in many cases, but, uh, it's, um, I, I notice I, I, that's most the pursuit of the job is, is what I do. And, and I think the most important thing is at some point, if you want a job, you got to have that personal touch and getting back to Adnan, he is a master at that where the people hiring you. Remember, this is a business that uh, we're not engineers. They're not going to necessarily hire the guy who can fix things the best or is the best doctor. There is some leeway and it's, it falls into tastes or a gut feeling in many ways who they hire. So, uh, that evens that evens the playing field. So you have to separate it. And it, the way to do that is to have that, that connection, but it's, oh, I, I know when things aren't going great and just processes where it's happened to have that agent uh, and have anyone shoot an accountant, somebody could be there that you can kind of balance off is helpful because going this alone is, is really scary and getting all the help as long as you don't have to pay them all <laughs> is, uh, is really important. Yeah, and, uh, you mentioned the primetime workhorse. Guy's working everywhere right now, six jobs. He, yeah, he people love him. People right. love him. That's where they go. And they go, Adnan. They think it's something about Adnan because he's just, he right. puts such good uh, memory uh, in their heads when they're people. He, he wanted me to ask you if Brian McCann can do the can can. And uh, he also wanted me to know if, if you enjoyed his Hunter Pence call. Worst catchphrase in the history of ESPN. <laughs> Worst catchphrase in the history. And I've had some bad ones. Uh, Cole Wright had a really bad one. He works for the Cubs now. And I always laughed because there's that commercial about uh, J.G. Wentworth. And a guy would hit a home run. He goes, ah, he's, he needed a cash. He, he has cash settlement, but he needs cash now, or whatever the expression was. I have a structured. He has a structured settlement, but he needs cash now. I go, don't use that anymore. He goes, oh, I'm using it. So uh, Hunter Pence. And then he goes, Hunter Pence. 
six pence, none the richer. And I go, what are you doing? And then he would use it just to ruffle my feathers. I go, stop it. And I go, why don't you say Hunter Pence, none the richer? And he goes, yeah, because then people, you, you get the idea. We, we know six pence, none the richer, which is a, a band, a one hit wonder. Again, you don't want to lean into six pence, none the richer for a, uh, a, um, a, a catchphrase. So he, I said, why don't you go, Hunter Pence, none the richer. And he would just go through that stop sign and kept saying, Hunter Pence, six, Hunter Pence, six pence, none the richer. I go, that doesn't make any sense. And then Brian McCann too was a bit dicey, but we were up late. So we were having some fun with it. And it was almost just to amuse each other with these catchphrases. Yeah. I mean, not, not, not everybody's as smooth as the legend, Bill Pito on ESPN news dropping, dropping the catchphrases. But you know, I think it was, a, think, it was an arms race. It was an arms race for catchphrases. You didn't have one. You're right. like, oh, it's not like that now, but you're like, I got to come up with one. Right. And I think, you know, your, your class of, of people that you came in with doesn't seem like anybody's there anymore, but, you know, just thinking of like you and then, and around that time, Robert Flores, I mean, that was an iconic class of, of new anchors at sports center. What was it like, you know, getting that position and meeting all these new anchors along with yourself that are so talented and you became good friends with? Oh, uh, thank you. It was there is that ruling cl- class of anchors. They are gold standard, and they are all fair in many ways. But the list, uh, Stuart Scott, Kenny Maine, John Anderson, John Bucci Gross, Linda Cohn, who's in LA. I-, I keep in touch with her from time to time. More name dropping. Um, obviously, Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann. Uh, love it. Keep name dropping because it's more people we. Can I didn't know all on. these guys. Just, it's, it's more people we could tag on Twitter, and uh, you know, <laughs> get some get some more to rub out for the show. <laughs> Those twenty original guys. Girls, some left. There's still some there, and they're they're rockers. Everyone knows who they are because everyone. I think when Stu Scott died and Barack Obama had a uh, comment about it, Stu Scott, the last person I saw went to bed. You're like, oh my god, these guys are so well known. Uh, Steve Levy, these guys uh, are part of everything. When Sports Center was a part of everyone's day, things have changed a fair bit. So. They were all good, and I met them. I will, I will mention of all the ones – so when I – to the, the practice of going up to them and saying, hey, what's going on? My name is Max. They were all very nice. The one guy that blew me away was Kenny Mann because I go, Kenny, you the same stuff. You say, hey, I'm a big fan, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, wow, what's your name? And he started asking me questions. Where's your family? And he was interested in the answers. And I was like, oh. Yeah, this so I'm kind of like you know being here, and all of a sudden that flip was just just filled you with all this energy. So I, I always appreciated when Kenny did that the first time I met him. But that next group, we always were trying to be the top tier. We never could break through because they were, but they you couldn't. Those guys were they were rock stars. Right. They you know they're in the fabric of Americana, not just for us, but everyone. Even if they didn't watch sports. Sports Center was on everywhere, so they knew the faces. So that new, next right. tier of guys. Uh, well, you, you, you and Robert Flores were the, the predecessors to SVP at night. Yeah, and Chris Castle, we did that. So, look, the, the, the powers that be at ESPN are always going to turn to the, the standard. And, they you, you know, those guys will keep working till, as long as they want to work. Uh, it's envious of that. But we were, we were a bunch of scrappers, but we knew – of us that maybe ESPN wasn't going to be a long-term thing because it's a great place to work. I made more money than I ever did at ESPN, uh, considerably more in a lot of cases. Uh, but you wanted to be that, 
you want to be like a number one in, in a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond in some cases. So um, that's what, what that practice is like. We, we always looked, there, it was like, it was like West Side Story, the Sharks and the Jets, to use a data reference. They were like, we we're like coming around, like, come on, old, <laughs> old school anchors, nouveau anchors. But um, we were, as much as we wanted to be those guys, I think we also realized that after us, the industry changed. We were like the last people in the door to do that kind of sports in our, they didn't, I mean, they're not hiring sports in our anchors anymore. They're, it's, it's things have, it's a hybrid. Of when you they, joined, they went, they really went 24 seven. So correct. Four seven. They hired like eight anchors, 2009, 2010, and then it stopped. So they've hired for other things, personalities, but that kind of like the anchor who could do any show in the building uh, that, that practice of hiring those guys uh, kind of ended because the business changed. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to, we want to start wrapping up here. Uh, we really appreciated the time you gave with us. I want to ask quickly uh, before we wrap up about your time at LAFC, uh, how did that opportunity come about for you? Uh, how much fun do you enjoy doing it? Uh, and what is the biggest difference between doing play-by-play -play and doing studio stuff? Soccer play-by-play -play is the best thing me, personally, anything you can do. And I know everyone's not soccer fans, but I think calling a sport, you're not there for four hours. Uh, I don't understand the baseball. I respect baseball announcers. I just don't want any part of that. I don't want to go to work and say, oh, we might be here another hour and a half for extra innings or a rain delay. I'm like, not interested. <laughs> so hats off, hats off to that industry. But soccer is two hours. There's no, um, there's no one on top of you. There's no commercial breaks. You really can be the... The, the on-air person and the producer for that. You dictate the storylines because no, one, no one's going to come in it, it, to a smaller degree and say, hey, we got to talk about the right back and this. I go, you kind of dictate that because you are in charge. It's your voice. Right. And also, and I'm sure, Max, to... it's, a, it's a lot easier for you with soccer as opposed to baseball to be able to go to the bathroom. You know you can go at halftime. It's baseball, I don't, know. Exactly. I, don't know how, I don't know how you do it. No, no, I wear a colostomy bag. It's one of the things <laughs> I have. It's attached to my... <laughs> Not true. That's not, but um, so I love soccer play by play. If that's, if there's one thing I could do exclusively, it would be that uh, the studio is more demanding of a job. You have the interview process, interviewing people, you, you watch sports. There's so many bad questions. There's so many bad questions from guys that we, I don't want to, names, but I watched Larry King. That guy asked terrible questions. Bob Costas asked terrible. Questions. And it's like, they ask 90%, but sometimes you want to ask good questions because you want the conversation to keep going. I don't want to, those guys are great. I'm just saying, but every now and then you see the guys that you think were the best and the best through questions or like throwaways. We all do that, but you want to limit and you want to open up the interviewer, interviewee. It's hard. So you need to have, uh, you've got to listen, which is hard, is the hardest thing for me to do. I mean, quite frankly, uh, but that is a little more challenging, but it's a very fulfilling to be able to do to answer for LAC, I wanted to get back in soccer. I wanted to get back in LA, and it was a lesson. If you wanted something, the lengths that you would go. Tom Penn, who worked at ESPN, was the president of. LA. I bugged him years in advance, so I set the platform. Didn't say I wanted the job, and I remember one day I was in Bristol, and I I set a meeting up. It was like on a Thursday. I had to be back Friday, so I took a flight. And going from Connecticut to LA, it's a connection. So it's an all day travel. So I Wednesday after work connected overnight and went to LA and made it sound like I was in town 
And then, so if he canceled, I'd have been screwed. I know full well, Friday morning, I had to fly back. So I was there at Thursday and I went in there and I, and I think keeping up those appearances and then when things firmed up where they were looking for someone, they went, what about Max? But I had to make sure of that. I knew this was the job that I wanted. And I, it's, I mean, the people at LFC uh, treat me like uh, just gold. And it's just being part of that and being the guy making connections with the fans has been so fulfilling. And uh, it's, I, I hope it's a job I have for the, the remainder of my professional career. But getting that job, it was something clicked. I said, I'm getting this. And then when you always hear people say, I'm not leaving without this. And I think that trip overnight <laughs> under the shroud of darkness was, uh, was testament to that. So uh, when they, when they hired, I was there and uh, they, uh, they made me, they made me whole and ESPN wonderful enough to allow me to do some freelance in LA. We, we eventually kind of parted ways and um now uh, that's my primary uh, my primary work, and I couldn't be happier. Great stuff. Really appreciated you coming on. Thank you for doing this with us. Hopefully some of your name drops and connections turn beneficial for us. We're going to keep in touch. We're going to have you on again. Thank you for coming on again. Uh, we usually give our guests the last word. So if there's anything else you would like to share, promote, uh, Max, go ahead. The floor is all yours. Thanks again for doing this with us. Well, I wanted to say how hard it is to do interviews, but you guys asked good questions. So Nick, Joe, uh, thank you, because I, I feel my answers were better than they would be, but that's that's your handiwork. So I appreciate uh, being in this role. Check out, I'm actually building a, a platform for soccer. It's called the Soccer OG. It's on, I have a YouTube under Max, and I have a Soccer OG podcast that I started a month ago. I'm, it's something I own, and I want to kind of build that as, uh, as we head towards the next World Cup. So Check it out. Subscribe. Leave me a review. A good one, please. No, not necessarily. It could be a bad one, too. And actually, the new Soccer OG podcast, I have Alexi Lalas talking about some things in the U.S. game. You can tag him, too. But it was uh, um, it's, uh, it's a labor of love, and it's exciting to do. It's a lot of work, but it's, it's me. And I think something you can control is what something I've always wanted to do. So that's out there. Check it out. All right. Thanks, Max. We also really enjoyed your Instagram lives last year. So maybe you could bring some of those interviews back. You had a great story. You know, Adnan was on. You were talking about Adnan taking some candy from the cafeteria. So that's the type of stuff we, we like to hear from your Instagram lives. But Max, this is, this is a lot of fun. We appreciate it. So that's going to do it here for this episode of You Know I'm Right. So for our very special guest, Max, and my co-host, Joe, I'm Nick, and this has been You Know I'm Right. Right.